Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's word which we receive this morning is from the prophet Isaiah chapter 64 verses 1 to 9. In this section of scripture we have a very earnest, very heartfelt prayer from the prophet that God would remove those barriers that stand between us and himself and come to us with his power. And that by this power he would straighten our hearts, make us ready for the coming of his son, and make us his people, even giving us the forgiveness of sins. We're going to take it in sections. We'll just read the first three verses to begin with. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. As fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down. The mountains shook at your presence. It might not uh, surprise us that Jesus' coming is described as shaking the mountains. That's kind of what we expect with Jesus' coming. What might surprise some of us is that Isaiah is not talking about his second coming. He's not talking about the day of judgment. Which when you, when you hear about mountains being shaken, that kind of sounds like Jesus coming in judgment. But actually Isaiah is talking about his first coming. He's talking about the coming of the Messiah. He's talking about when Jesus was born, a child lived among us and died for our sins. The picture of mountains being shaken is one that is often used in the Bible for the coming of the Messiah, when he comes in his grace to save us from our sins. We can look at some other passages like, for example, Haggai 2, verses 6 and 7. Once more, in a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. At this point, the people of Israel had returned from the Babylonian captivity and were rebuilding the temple of God in Jerusalem, but they were kind of depressed because the temple that they were building was not nearly as grand and glorious as Solomon's temple that had existed before. And yet God comes to them and says, well, don't worry about that. I myself will give glory to this temple. And he's talking about, again, the coming of Jesus. And notice how, again, he uses that picture of shaking the earth with his coming. Or we could even look at the New Testament where Luke quotes from Isaiah. And he's talking about the time of John the Baptist and how he's preparing the way for Jesus. And he says in Luke 3, 5, every valley shall be filled and every mountain shall brought low. So this picture of the mountains being shaken, being melted, being burned, being removed and brought low is a common one for the coming of God in Christ Jesus, the coming of his grace. And this picture is used because it shows the power of God. If the mountains are shaking, that's not a little event, is it? That's not just somebody with one stick of dynamite. You need a lot of power, a lot of force, to shake an entire mountain. The words that are used in Isaiah in our text this morning and in Haggai are actually different words. The word that's used in Isaiah is the word that's actually used for a drunk person who can't stand up. He's wobbling, he's tearing, he's falling down. 
And this is the word that's used, the mountains. They can't stand up. They wobble and fall down. Whereas the word used in Haggai, for example, is the word used for an earthquake. God is taking the mountain and he's shaking it. But either way, it demonstrates God's power at work, that not even the mountains can stand up against it. Now, what is this power doing when it comes to earth? Well, if we look at verse 2, the prophet explains that. The power is not coming in judgment, but what does he say in verse 2 of our text? To make your name known. So the same power of God, which can easily destroy and shake the mountains, is coming in the preaching of God's name. The preaching of the word, the preaching of the gospel. And of course, this is exactly what Jesus did when he came. He reminds us when he, in his high priestly prayer, when he's praying to God the Father, he reminds us, I have made your name known. I have preached your name to my disciples and, and also to the whole, all people. That's what Isaiah is praying for in our text. The coming of God's power in the preaching of the gospel in order to shake the mountains. Not the physical mountains, he doesn't want to shake the, the Rocky Mountains or the, uh, the other mountains, the Himalayas or whatever. He wants to shake the mountains that oppose his coming, that oppose his will, especially the mountains in our own hearts, the mountains of our sin and of our pride. He wants to tear down every sinful act, every selfish thought, every self-pride, every unwillingness to forgive, every conceited notion within us to make the way for Christ's coming level, to make a people for God. This is what Isaiah is earnestly desiring, earnestly praying for, and this is the best thing that can happen to us, isn't it? That that power which can shake the mountains of the earth would come to us in his preaching to make us humble, to humble us as Jesus. We just heard how Jesus rode into Jerusalem humble on that donkey, on that colt of a donkey. To make us, the people of God, humble before him, contrite, repentant of our sin. Martin Luther reminds us in his small catechism that God's will is done when he breaks and stops every evil will and plan that hinders the coming of his kingdom. And so Isaiah talks about him shaking us in order to make us ready for God's coming. Isaiah wants the coming of God. And we read in that first verse that whatever stands in the way, Isaiah says, remove it. Even the, even the heavens, he says, rip open the heavens. The heavens hide God from us, right? The heavens stand between us and God. Therefore, Isaiah says, rip them open and come through. Better that the sky be removed than that Jesus failed to come to us in the preaching of his word. Now, even as we talk about this, some of us might be tempted to start pointing fingers and thinking, well, I know somebody who could use God's power in their heart. I know this person or that person could really use God coming to their heart to remove the mountains of their sinfulness and their selfishness. But when we think that way, we really only prove how much we need God's power at work in our hearts so that he removes our mountains not somebody else's. And when God does this, when he comes to us, when Jesus comes with that power to remove the mountains of our hearts, he restores to us that peace of God. He restores to us our relationships. First, our relationship with God, and then also our relationships with one another, that we might have that peace of God. 
And so with the prophet, we pray also this morning that God would shake us to remove that pride and to make his home in our hearts. We continue with verses 4 and 5. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. Paul teaches us the correct understanding of this verse in our text this morning in 1 Corinthians when he quotes it, and he says, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Once again, like the prophet, we wait, we hope, we earnestly desire the coming of God, the coming of his power through his word, because he has prepared a gift for us. That's what the prophet is saying. He's prepared a gift for us that we would not have even thought of, we have never seen, we would not have even imagined, but God has prepared it for us. And what is this gift? The gift is mentioned in verse 5, you meet him. You come to us and make your, he makes his home in us. He comes to us in the person of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. This is the gift that God has prepared. Now what does our text say? And this is the problem. What does our text say is the, are those who, for whom God has prepared this gift? You can think of the Christmas gift, a little tag on it, and it says who it's for on the tag, right? What name has God written on this gift? Well, it says him who rejoices and does righteousness. Well, there's the problem. The gift is prepared for those who do righteousness. And we know that we have not been righteous. And so we have to go back again to that first verse where the prophet Isaiah begins, you come with your power and shake us, shape us, remove the mountains, make the way prepared so that we live in your righteousness. You come and make us righteous. Then you can come and give us this gift of your presence with us, you dwelling with us, Emmanuel. And thus we have John the Baptist going and preparing the way. And what does he do when he prepares the way? He preaches repentance that the mountains may be brought low and the valleys filled up. We continue uh, with the rest of verse 5 and then also verses 6 and 7. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. But we all are like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. There is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of your iniquities. Throughout Scripture, the garment is used as a picture both of righteousness and unrighteousness. You remember how the high priest had to wash and make sure his garment was clean and white before he came into the presence of God. And you remember how Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration was transfigured and his garments, and not only his face, but his garments also became white with that righteousness of God. Or you think of the parable of the, the marriage feast of the king's son. And there was found one in the parable who was not wearing the wedding garment. And what happened to him? He was cast out because he lacked that garment of righteousness. Of course, Revelation, there the saints are dressed in those robes of righteousness that were washed and made clean in the blood of Jesus. 
And so the, the white righteous robe, well, that's not what we're wearing. That's not how we're coming before God. Instead, by ourselves, we come with filthy rags. Not, not only are they not white, but they're not, they're not even garments. They're rags. And therefore, the prophet says, you are angry with us because of that sinfulness. And we are like a leaf. Remember in Psalm 1, the psalmist describes the people of God like trees planted by the river of water, growing strong and green uh, in God's Word. But here, we're no longer the green tree with deep roots in God's Word, but instead we're the leaf. Not even the leaf that's on the tree, but the dead leaf that has fallen from the tree and has been blown away. There are none left who call on the name of the Lord, the prophet continues. Why is this? Why, why is it that we are dressed in filthy rags? Why is it that we are the, the dead leaf? Why is it that there is none left who call on the name of the Lord? The prophet continues there. Why? Because you have hidden your face from us. Because God has not come in the power of His Word. Because God's Word is not being preached. Because that power is not present on the, among the people. Therefore, they are left without the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, they are dead leaves. Therefore, there is none who call on your name. You remember how God himself pronounced this curse on the people of Israel because they would not listen to God's word. Therefore, God said, because you will not listen, I will take my word away from you. You won't have it. And the people didn't even know what the word of God was. And they found a Bible many years later and they said, what is this? They didn't even know what the Bible was because God's name was not proclaimed. That power of God to remove the mountains of their sinfulness was not present. But now, therefore, the prophet earnestly prays, return with that power. That's what he's talking about. Make your name proclaimed among us once again so that we might once again be like that green tree and no longer like that dead leaf. Verses 8 and 9. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are potter. And all we are the work of your hand. Do not be angry, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look, for we are all are your people. Despite everything that's happening and all the, the difficulty that Isaiah is going through, he proclaims his trust once again in the Lord. I trust you as a child trusts it's Father. You are our Father, and you are our potter. Those two phrases have to go together, don't they? Who among us would trust somebody to be in complete charge of our life? Well, when we're kids, of course, our parents are in charge of our life, but then we grow up and we become teenagers, and we don't want our parents to be in charge of our life anymore. We want to be our own person. Why would we trust somebody to be our potter, to shape us, to have complete control over our life, unless... It's somebody we trust absolutely. And so Isaiah, he says, you are our potter and I trust you to shape my life, to shake me and make me because you are my father and I trust you. A child will go into a lot of dark and dangerous places that they normally would not go into if their father is holding their hands. And so we too, we can go into a lot of dark and dangerous places and we can trust God to shake us and shape our lives because he is our father. The prophet en ends our text with this verse, uh, do not be furious, nor remember our iniquity. 
And at first, that verse sounds very different than the first verse in our text. The first verse of our text talked about that power that shakes mountains in here. It talks about not remembering our sins, but when we look at it, we realize the meaning is the same, isn't it? That God would not turn his face from us, but that he would come to us, that he would remove every obstacle, even the sky, even the heavens, rend the heavens, to come to us and, make, and forgive our sins, remove those mountains, and make his home with us. And why should God do this? The prophet tells us why. Because we all are your people. There's no other reason that Jesus should come to us and make his home with us and be our God and be our Father and our Potter other than we are his people. He has made us his people. And we see there once again the power and the beauty of the promise that is ours in our baptism. Nowadays, you see these parents who have these leashes for their kids. It's kind of like a dog leash, but they, they use it for their kids. And then if they're at Disney World or wherever, they can make sure to keep track of their kids. Their kids aren't going to run off. But the thing about one of those leashes is it not only ties the child to the parent, but it also ties the parent to the child. And if the child is scared or confused or lost or whatever, all he has to do is turn around and pull on that cord. And pull his father or his mother closer to him or follow the cord back to his parent. And so in baptism, we have a cord that ties God to us. We can turn around and pull on that cord. We can say, God, you promised to be our father and that we are your children. Therefore, come to us as you promised. Use your power to remove those mountains, that sinfulness in our hearts. Use your power to shake us and make your home in us. Give us your righteousness. Then our relationships will be restored. Our relationships with God and our relationships with one another. And we will have that, that peace of God that is the theme of our Christmas Eve program this year in our Advent series as well. That peace that comes from God, which comes when God, through his power, proclaims his name in our hearts to make us his people. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.